Helping CEOs and business leaders discover the energy to perform exceptional brilliance and positively impact the lives of those around them. Be inspired by world leaders and next level gurus. This is the Active CEO Podcast, where the ordinary don't belong. And now your hosts, Craig Johns and Ben Gathercole. Welcome to the latest episode of the Active CEO Podcast. It's where the ordinary don't belong. Our guest on this episode is a global leader, having worked in no fewer than eight countries across four continents. Born in the Netherlands, our guest is now the president of a company that he has the privilege of working with for 21 years. His humble, inclusive, and passionate leadership style allows him to bring together colleagues from all corners of the globe to work in a united approach, serving to make a difference in people's lives. Integrating his passion for tennis, customer service, and his excellent leadership skills, he was promoted to president of Peter Burwash International the world's leading tennis management company in 2016. This made him the second ever president of the company since its inception in 1975 after the founder Peter Burwash decided to hand over the uh, the reins. I would like to introduce and welcome you to our special guest, Renee Sondag. Renee, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Greg. That was a wonderful introduction. Yeah, so I've known you for um, probably six or seven years now, and I've always really enjoyed our, our conversations. Um, I would like to kick this off with starting with your life growing up in the Netherlands. Um, did you ever dream of working in so many unique and interesting countries around the world? That's a good question. I think it's always been, I think the dream came later. I think I was so caught up with growing up and doing my things and then as things moved along I noticed that there must be more than what I was just doing in Holland, playing tennis, study and all the things that we go through when we're younger, starting a career and I felt something was missing. I felt something, yeah, and my wife basically asked what do you want and at some point my answer was I'd like to travel, I'd like to be in different places. Yeah, and oh, and it's the world is so magical, and there are so many amazing places to visit. Uh, I know that from my experience working in multiple countries, that changing cultures is one of the best things you can do for self development. Is that what you've also experienced? Absolutely. I, I can, I mean, I can recommend everybody to experience as much as different cultures. I think uh, connecting. And understanding people is probably one of the most important skills in in life in general and I guess in work as well. And by being exposed and experiencing so many different kind of people from so many different kind of angles, uh, learning how people think what is in their mind has absolutely helped me tremendously in understanding people, empathy, and many other skills, I guess. It's, it's been a wonderful experience, and I cannot I recommend it enough to anybody to at least try to experience different cultures and languages and people. And I bet that it helped both your tennis coaching skills and your leadership skills when you're working in countries and with people that 
where English is not their first language, and, and obviously for yourself, you know, Dutch is not their first language. Absolutely. I think um, for a teacher in general, I mean, teaching people without speaking the language is actually one of the most beautiful experiences because it teaches you really to, and especially in tennis in this case, to, to instead of verbal coaching or verbal teaching, change your perspective and change your way of working with people. Um, also understanding the individuality of, of teaching and coaching in, in general. I mean, it's already an individual sport on itself, teaching only in Holland or coaching in Holland, but having different cultural aspects added to that um, makes you realize, I would almost think there is nothing more beautiful than teaching once you realize the individuality of the profession. That's a great point. And, you know, being able to understand your purpose and, and what your strengths are and, and what you can bring to the world is really important. Yes, I think if anything, uh, what, what teaches being a teacher is, is teaching people, teaching individuals. And, of course, you want to teach them skills, but I think there is nothing more than teaching people a purpose. And that can be sport-related or topic-related, but I guess in general, it's our responsibility to prepare people further than just for the sports, but prepare them for life. Yeah. It is rare in this day for people to remain so committed to one company. Uh, what is it about PBI that has kept you so connected over 21 years and has now led you to be in the driver's seat as president? Um. That's really one simple thing, it's people. Um, I think the, the, the difference with many companies and why I enjoy PBI so much is that it's a purpose-driven company and it's focused around its professionals. Um, our goal is really to make great people, to make great professionals. And I think that focus is very different than what we see a lot in the industry nowadays is focusing on the bottom line, focusing on the profitability, focusing on the financial aspects of the, the industry rather than really about the people. And I think that's the only sustainable thing. But then if you think about it, it's a real good concept, what Peter has thought through. I mean, focusing on people makes people loyal to you, gives people trust. When they are loyal to you, they will also produce for you. So the concept makes also absolute sense, business sense. But I think it's more important is that, and I quote here someone else, but the purpose of a great company is to make great people. And I think that's really what I felt is PBI all about, and that's something that especially Peter, Peter Burwas has always tried to, 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 to work towards. Yeah, no, I... With my interactions with PBI people, they are great people and you can see them really wanting to learn and continue to grow all the time as well and, and they just enjoy what they do. Absolutely and I think there, there is another aspect to it and it is, I think, which is not always in our industry a very common thread but that's that we really want people to become better than ourselves. I think that's also... It's, it's a wonderful thing when you teach people and they actually become better than you. 
And that, that applies to your employees, that applies to your professionals, that applies to your students. That should be our goal. And we should, should be proud of that. And we should, instead of being afraid of it or have a fear about it or being anxious about it, no, this should be your goal. Making people better than yourself. That, that brings a big smile to my face. And I was just up working in Taipei and a lot of the athletes I used to coach there on the national team are now coaches. And some of the skill sets they're bringing through are, are far better than what I had. And I just, you know, it's nice to see that your influence has a, uh, has a bigger impact on what your initial purpose was. Yeah, it, it, it is sometimes, it takes time, I think, to realize in to understand what kind of impact you have on people. And then there are these wonderful examples of when you ask people who was their favorite coach and why. And they go back 20 years, and it might be a very simple, subtle thing, but it touched their hearts, it touched their emotion. And, you know, in that, at that moment you realize, wow, what an impact I have. And that at the same time means what a responsibility you have. Mm. Definitely. So how did you approach starting your new role as president of PBI, being the first person to reside in that role uh, after the founder, Peter Burwash? It's, it's challenging, it's, 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 but challenge, I love challenges, but it's, it's obviously a legacy that continues. And I think my main responsibility, at least as I see it, is to make sure that the legacy continues. Peter has brought something unique for the sport as tennis, I think for the sport in general. Um, and that should be continued to my, and then obviously we cannot copy and paste and we shouldn't copy paste Peter. I'll have to do it and we have to do it in our own way in the future. But the legacy on itself um, is, is something that needs to be continued. So that will be the main responsibility and also the main priority. So how would you define your leadership style then? Oof. <laughs> um, you know, it's tough to say something about yourself. I think if we have, I, I like to look at, again, what I learned from coaching is you're dealing with individuals. So I think individual attention, listening to individuals, making time for individuals. Again, you're dealing with people, and when you deal with people, you're going to have to treat them like people. They're not numbers, they're not whatever. They're also not employees. They are colleagues. They're human beings. And I think that's the way you want to treat human beings. Human and correctly and, as I said, from the heart, probably. And I don't know if you want to put a title or a number or a name on that leadership. Maybe it's humane leadership. I don't know. But I think people are your biggest asset or our biggest asset. They represent us day in, day out. Um, so that's where we have to take care. So we're going to have to, we're spending a lot of time on people. Hmm. It's, you know, people, you know, it's really coming through so far that, you know, people are the heart and soul of the way you do lead. Um, I, I've always been impressed the way PBI reward and recognize not only its staff and coaches, but also the facilities they work with. 
Why is reward and recognition so crucial to the long-term sustainability and growth of PBI? Yeah, I think this is it is important to rec I mean there's a few things that drive the human spirit and, and appreciation and recognition are probably the most crucial one. And unfortunately, coming from the teaching side and maybe even in general, there's a lot of focus on all the things we do wrong. And I think we have a natural or we actually in our teaching philosophy as well as our coaching philosophy and I think in our leadership philosophy, it's all the same. We need to focus on all the good things that people do that builds trust, that builds loyalty. And once you have that loyalty and trust, you can correct people for the things that they might have to change or need some adjustment. So it's been our philosophy always to look at the good things first before you're going to address those things that need some improvement. Look, we see... Oh, sorry, carry on. No, and so that's that's our philosophy as a as a teaching company, but it's at the same time a philosophy that goes throughout our company. We really want all our leadership focusing on the good things that happen first. And you know, the reality is, and I'm sure you you've seen the same. In most cases, most of the things are going well. And we always seem to like to go back to that one or two or maybe 5% that doesn't go well and, and hammer that out. And we want to do it the reverse way, focus on building a, a confidence. That's probably maybe the more important word. Build confidence, build self-esteem, and then make the changes that are necessary. And that means professional and personal. Oh, I think you've hit the nail on the coffin there. It, it's, it's really important that, you know, I think a lot of the times we see so many leaders or coaches, etc. They they attack the obvious thing. Obviously, what's what's going wrong, and you know, people need to feel confident and need to feel like they're appreciated to to be able to one be able to listen to you and trust what you're saying to help correct them. So, some great points. Yeah, I think that it's in it's in. I've been recently looking a little bit into the academical world, and it seems, again, it's, it's similarly, the point system we get, we grow up in our schools, and, our, and 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 it's all about the points and about pluses and minuses, what we do wrong. I think that really the shift should be, that's what's happening well, build the self-esteem, and that's what people need nowadays. You see so many kids nowadays, you see so many athletes nowadays. And they have such a low confidence level. Mm. And you know, performance, there is no way I believe you can really perform. And again, it might be different in certain sports, but in generally, you can say when there's no confidence, it's very hard to perform. Yes. And you see that with, say, on, on the tennis world, where you've got athletes that are, they perform really, really well when for whatever reason they lose that confidence. And even though they, they, they're still amazing players and they hit the ball well, the confidence is not quite there for them to produce that performance that allows them to win. Yeah, it makes all the difference. It makes all the difference. I mean, they're all good players. I mean, all the guys in the top 100 are phenomenal players and they're all challenged. Technically, they're probably all challenged, can challenge each other, but the difference is really 
and how level and what 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 feeling you go out there on the court. Is it confident? Are you really ready to to win? Are you confident to win, or are you afraid to lose, or is there that that reluctancy or that thing missing? Absolutely. And that's the same in the workplace too, isn't it? I think there's no difference. I mean, and this is the beauty of, of growing up in sports um, and with sports. Uh, and now getting older, you realize in how yeah, there is really no difference in, in the way an athlete or a coach or a teacher or a coach develops and, and the way and the approach should be with your, with your team at work. Mm. So you, yeah, yeah. sorry. No, no, you're fine. Uh, so, so you're working with people across, uh, I think it's 59 beautiful destinations around the world in, in 24 countries. How do you manage leading teams from so many different time zones, different cultures, and different working schedules? Well, we are fortunate that we have a lot of people in our company that, that there is a, there's a communication structure in place on the regional level, uh, and there's obviously the headquarter base which is based in the US um, so there's a formal structure in place my personal thinking is always is the informal structure is the most relevant one because that's where you really find out who you, who you who the people are what they really think formal structures are important uh, reporting has to be done but to understand with who you're dealing with and why that person is with you the informal structure is is probably crucial, and that's our responsibility. You know, an, an informal structure is not something you can formalize. It's something that you that takes effort, and again, it takes trust. Also, people are not going to open up if there's no trust. So that's that's an active thing that we, as a company, as leadership, have to initiate. That's my personal opinion, and I think I've always tried to work like that. But you have to build relationships beyond the formal relationship, which is the work relationship. Mm. And so obviously now in being in headquarters, do you still get a chance to travel and get face-to-face with the people that are on the ground delivering the product? Yeah, I'll, I'll really try to make it an effort to, to be in all parts of the world at least twice. And in this case, being in the U.S. means twice in the Middle East, twice in Europe, twice in Asia, um, and possibly more if, if necessary or if there is a reason beyond that. But at least twice a year, I want to be there regularly myself to interact on a personal level, face-to-face with people. I mean, we are very lucky nowadays with all the wonderful technologies to communicate but I don't think anything is replacing our face-to-face conversations with people. Mm. Yeah, you can't see the emotional aspects and the non-verbal cues that people provide when they're communicating. No, absolutely. I think um, we've, we've gone into a, from a company perspective, I'm not a big fan of, of email communication, especially when it concerns problems, because, again, on email... In a face-to-face conversation, you always get the correct answer, I would say. People are more inclined to say things that they maybe shouldn't say or don't say. Or Anyway, writing, writing communication 
is is complicated. Let's put it this way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, it's it's very different than than getting to deal with the people directly and and again work it out on on a face to face level. This is also my I'm a little bit old fashioned, although I'm not that old, but still uh, this is my concern as well with the social media nowadays. Yeah. So. Yeah, you you have a licensing model where you're working with a number of resorts and facilities around the world. What type of coping strategies do you employ when dealing with rejection? Uh, when a resort or facility decides not to become a PBI facility or not renew its contract? Yeah, we always try to understand the why. I mean, there it's it's okay. I mean, we understand there is there is competition, and we try to be different. And we try to explain that, we try to communicate that, but we respect people's people's choices, first of all. Um, I think for us it's always important to understand why. And that is always a question when we get rejected, that we have an afterwards conversation. Um, so that makes us only more aware and, and hopefully better. And maybe if we have made mistakes, I mean, sometimes it's just not meant to be. Sometimes it's just not practical. There are many reasons, but if it's a mistake or something we can do different, we like to know and we try to improve on that. So even if that, I mean, the world changes, people move around fast. Um, as I said, we try to be respectful. We try to stay in communication with everybody, even as much as they unfortunately say, they don't choose PBI, they go for something different. You never know what's happening in the future. You still meet these people again. Mm. Okay, so moving on to slightly different topics. How would you define high performance for a CEO or leader? <laughs> Dealing with stress in the sense you no know, stress is a, is a common is a, is a difficult is, is an interesting word. Um, I think dealing with people and dealing with emotions, yeah, there's always a level of stress. Um, I would say finding peace within all the dynamics that you're going through. And for me, this has always been: I need at least one hour, one and a half hour a day quiet time. And that's how I start my day, but that's how I probably, if I don't do it, I feel my day very, very different. Dealing with the ongoing requirements, dynamics of the job um, is much easier to handle once your mind frame is set calm and at the same time allow yourself also for new ideas, new thoughts, initiatives and all these certain creative ideas. Do you mind elaborating a bit more on what quiet time is for you? Quiet time is just still, quiet, no music, no phone, no computer, everything switched off. And I can either meditate, sit down, listen to myself breathing, or do something like that. Um, it's not necessarily yoga, but just, yeah. Try to completely relax the mind, the body. Um, that's what I actually do. That's my routine before the start of any day. 
when I wake up, that's the first thing I do without touching a phone, without touching my uh, computer or anything. It's a great habit to have initiated and, and continuing. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, you know, if you don't, you get caught up with so much stuff, I would think. Um, I really had to get myself into that habit and I had to learn it again. Uh, I was in a habit, the first thing you pick up is your phone, you see all the messages coming in, you see all the emails coming in, and boom, there you go. And you don't, it doesn't let you go anymore throughout the day. Mm. Letting it go, just start the day like that, has made for me all the difference. So what training do you do to regularly ensure that you're constantly improving as a, as a CEO? So um, yeah, as an athlete, obviously we set out a plan and we, you focus on your fitness and your skills, uh, nutrition, your psychology. But for a CEO, a lot of the time they just get on and do their work. So what type of training do you do to help you be a better CEO? Well, I'm, I'm very fortunate that I have a mentor in Peter Willwash for so many years and still ongoing. It's someone I can put my ideas towards and ask questions about. So that's extremely helpful to have someone like that. At the same time, reading is a huge, huge thing. Keep yourself informed uh, about things happening, about other ideas, other thoughts. Um, yeah, I think reading reading is probably one of the most important things in that sense to to keep kind of updated hmm. and to keep getting new ideas and new thoughts. I also don't. I, I mean, I'm I love different kind of things, but I love reality stories, uh, people stories, biographies. Um, at the same time, we're very fortunate. I'm still teaching a little bit. One of the things that I think is, is has been unique in, in my career and what I try to and, and explain to our professionals as well, because of the, the area or the, the environment that we work in, in which we are exposed to influential people, decision-making people, business people, politicians, etc., that on itself gives you an unbelievable opportunity to learn and there is nothing else, there is nothing better than having those people in the tennis court and pick their brain just ask questions how do they do their things how do they look at these things that on itself has been for me an unbelievable education um, it's not a formal education it's a life education from simple stories that people have experienced and i have to say I cannot be more thankful for the opportunity that PBI in that sense has given me because you're working on these high-class resorts and clubs and you're getting all this information for free. You only have to ask for it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I think the, it's, it's interesting. It's kind of like that, what do you do when you sit on a plane? Do you talk to the person next to you or do you put your headphones on and sit in your own world? And you, know, you, you have a wonderful opportunity there where you can – you got people with it's an abundance it. of life experiences and expertise. Well, it's, 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 you know, it's one of the first things that, that we, well, I remember in our training program is if we look at the people that we hire, for example, we hire humble people. And the reason why we hire humble people 
is because humble people listen. And if you listen, you learn. And if you learn, then you become a teacher or a coach or whatsoever. You become better. So there is a philosophy behind that as well. And I think we teach and we try to explain the coaches. And, and then our, if, I, if I look at back at how I learned to teach, we don't just transform information. Again, we're dealing with individuals. And how do you get to understand the individual person you have is by asking questions. And it's an art by itself. Mm. The art of asking questions is so powerful, not just for you to watch your students, but to everybody you interact with. If you ask questions, you'll learn. If you only talk, you never learn. Oh, exactly. So you, I, I know when... Uh, had experiences with PBI. We we saw a lot of CEOs and leaders from all around the world who would come to the PBI programs to help them recover and rejuvenate from their very intense and stressful lives. Seeing them unwind, they they quite often will use the opportunity to spend quality time with family. Why do you think it's important for the CEOs and leaders to take active holidays? Well, I, I, I guess, it, it, you know, it, it, do, being active in sport spirals a lot of, I wouldn't say happy hormones, but it, you know, it just makes you feel good. And I think sports in that essence cannot be, well, it, I think it should be part of everybody's life. You know, it, it, the body, if you feel good by because of the, the, the activity you've done, the, that on itself is, is a necessity, I would say, for everybody. You know, it just takes you away from the, all the daily things, whatever it is. And I personally look at it for myself as well. I've used teaching tennis as a therapy. For me, going on the tennis court, I just entered a new world, a new small world, which was the tennis court. And nothing could interfere on that. My personal things are gone. My professional life is gone. That's why I, for myself, still like to do it at least once or twice a day. Go, go out on the court, teach tennis. One, because I love teaching. Two, because I can just completely space out. And I think you need that. It's like a therapy. And it's, it's being active on top of that is probably the best therapy for anyone who's under constant stress, exposed on work. Yeah, it's that ability to switch off and allow yeah. the mind to recover and, as you say, get those happy hormones or that enjoyment <laughs> factor that, that sets off the serotonin levels and the, the dopamine and, and it makes us feel great. We all know smart people have great answers, but the best people have great questions. So we've got three questions that we ask uh, all our guests. And the first one is, when was the last time you did something for the first time? Ooh. Yeah, that's, that's a good question. Probably today. Well, actually, I'm sure today. Because, you know, if I, I try to make it sort of a game for myself to never repeat the same lesson. And I had this morning the, luck, the, the opportunity to teach some ladies' teams. And I think... The reason I'm doing this is to constantly create new things, constantly experiment for them, for myself, in order to make them better, but hopefully also 
a little selfishly make myself better. Um, so that's on the teaching part. On, on the professional part, I think if you haven't done anything new every day, then I think you stay stagnant. And I think we need to challenge ourselves. And I would like to think not one of my days is scheduled the same way. I try to kind of actually avoid schedule to always leave space to do different things. Such a great answer and, and fantastic philosophy to live by. What is, you know, you've spoken about your one to one and a half hours of quiet time, but what are some of the other things you do to be an active CEO? I think reaching out, probably, if, if reaching out, you take the initiative to reach out. Uh, CEO tends to kind of lock himself up in his little office space or whatever you, whatever it is, his little castle. It doesn't matter. I think one of the best things as a CEO is to, CEO is to take the initiative for communication rather than waiting for things to happen. Um, and again, maybe this comes from sport, you know, you try to be in charge and you can only be in charge if you anticipate, if you can anticipate and anticipation only happens when you know a little what's going on. Yeah. And I guess that's probably one of the key things in, in leading. Um, it's not a reactive thing and it's the same as in sports. We don't want to be reactive. You want to be proactive. You want to be anticipating on what things are happening. And in order to do that, you need to reach out, you need to communicate, you need to understand what is in the minds, what is in the people's ideas, what the, what's going on. So I think reaching out is probably beyond, again, as you said, my, my day starts with that one and a half hour quiet time. That is probably one of the things that as an active pro, you really need to do. And. Who has made the greatest impact on your career and why? Well, that must be Peter. Uh, Peter Gouwars. Um, he had the confidence and the trust in me to, to first of all get me in the company and then guide me through all this. Um, the actual assignment or the, the, the honor for me to follow up on in his footsteps was totally out of the blue, but I think this, what, what Peter, the difference that Peter made, he's been probably everything you want the coach to be. I mean, one, he's always available. He will listen to you. And it goes beyond the professional part. It's about life. It's about purpose. And I guess that's what he has made an absolute difference uh, to me and in my life. Yeah, it's nice to have those mentors that you can constantly go back to and and have great two-way conversations around, as you say, not just about your professional career, but also life as well. Absolutely. I mean, there. for me, I think, and this is something that I like to think Peter, well, that's definitely what Peter brought into my life is, you know, there is not really a, a difference in, the way we live our professional life and the way we live our private life. It's the same. Mm. Very true. Um, if you start making the distinction, you make life complicated. And I think the essence of life is simplicity. It's the same as coaching. Try to keep things simple. 
the moment we make things complex, it becomes complex and it probably doesn't help anybody to make things more complicated. And life is not that complicated. <laughs> so, Renee, this has been an absolute pleasure speaking with you today. Um, you've provided some very insightful aspects around employing humble people, putting people first, uh, finding some quiet time for yourself, and constantly trying to find something and new every single day and becoming a better person. So I thank you very much for sharing your ideas, knowledge and insights into being a high performance and active CEO as president of PBI. Thank you very much, Greg. It was an absolute pleasure to connect with you and talk with you today. Excellent. Well, thanks very much for your time and we look forward to catching up with you soon. I hope so too. This week's active CEO wellness tip really echoes Renee's point about keeping things simple and maybe not just chasing the metrics all the time uh, when you're just trying to enhance your well-being in your life. I know, Craig, you're big on this also. Yeah, it's important that you feel and you relax when you go out there. So rather than being a disciple to the, to the metrics, the numbers yeah. that are showing on either your Garmin or on a machine, that it's just important to go out there and enjoy it and just be able to feel the process. Yeah. Look, there's no doubt that those metrics are important in some aspects of training, but when you're going out just for wellness and uh, relieving stress and enjoying yourself, maybe it's just better to go out and walk with a friend. Maybe it's just better to go out and feel being in nature. Those sorts of things are a lot better than just chasing the numbers. Keep it simple. Yeah, it's about freeing the mind, and it's really important that you give the, the mental part of your body a chance to recover and re-energize as well as your physical which is what you'd be doing when you go for your run or your bike or at the gym yeah as i said in certainly in wrapping up as renee said keep it simple and it's about mindfulness is really what we're talking about and that's a that's a really big part of your wellness and you're able to perform as an active ceo yeah being able to declutter and reduce that complexity is really really important absolutely that was a great show with Renee Sontag from Peter Burwash International. We talked a lot about people being our greatest assets and the importance of being involved with the people, developing that loyalty and trust, and then they'll deliver for us. We also talked a lot about the importance of keeping active and healthy, and Renee does that really, really well, where he still likes to get out and teach a couple of tennis lessons each day. He has a team all across the globe, and he still finds time to make sure that he gets to each region one or two times a year. And where possible, he likes to get face-to-face -face with each person in the company. So he gets the opportunity to really see and feel what those staff are thinking each day and how they're developing and what they're really, really looking for. Our wellness tip today was talking about keeping things simple. I think that's really, really important. We can make life so complex sometimes. So make sure... You try and simplify what you're doing, be really, really good at that, and then you'll be able to deliver. That's it from the Active CEO podcast this week. Remember, it's where the ordinary don't belong. Join the Active CEO movement by visiting www.nrgtoperform.com. That's nrg2perform.com. Share this podcast on LinkedIn and be sure to tag in NRG to Perform. Leave a review on iTunes. 
Drop us a line with your feedback and questions and connect with us on the NRG to Perform Facebook and Instagram pages. Be sure to check out the next Active CEO podcast where the ordinary don't belong.